And we're back. It's the Red Leaf Retrocast. It's episode 75. Retro Gaming here. I'm your host, JD. Joey, you're back. I am back, and I am the only one. You are the only one. It's just the two of us today. Pity for our listeners. Pity, pity, pity. Just two best friends hanging out talking about graphic adventure games. My theme pick. It seems that everyone just decided to not show when it's my theme pick. (laughs) I mean, you have a great track record of terrible 3DO games. I have the best track record. Okay? There's no way that 3DO games are bad. No way. Uh, I disagree. (laughs) There's no proof of that. (laughs) Uh, Well, it's good to have you back, Joey. You're just getting over uh, the thing. Yeah, the corona. Too much, too much beer will do that to you. <laughs> Am I wrong? Is that not what you had? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, did you keep your sense of taste and smell? Yes, I, I got. I was lucky. I got to keep that stuff. My wife, on the other hand, is not lucky. She still does not have taste. Oh, it blows. How do you even enjoy food at that point? You don't. And I get to rub it in her face. <laughs> You're just like, oh, this this food, is, it just tastes too good. Yeah, it's like, oh, when your taste gets back, you have to eat this. <laughs> You're cruel. You're a cruel man. Hey, she gave it to me. She deserves it. Uh, well, I mean, there is that. There is that. I blame you for my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> so how long did you uh, end up, like, completely having it for? What were your... Um, what, what, see, what was the, like the stages you went through and everything? That's why it's weird because she was only sick for like a day and a half, two days, mm-hmm. but her taste is still gone. A month later, I was sick for probably about two weeks. I mean, it was oh, nothing. The whole time, it was nothing too bad. I mean, but the symptoms changed. At first, it was, uh, it was like when we were playing um, Grounded, I started feeling it come on. It felt like just like right. a flu and. I got some meds and I started around the clock with that. So I had a call for like a day and a half and then it switched to like congestion and like sinus pressure. And then when that subsided, the headaches came. So I had like three days of terrible headaches and then the cough came back and then everything kind of, I was just stuffy for a couple of days and then it finally went away. But it wasn't. I've heard the headaches are the worst part. Yeah, it was terrible because uh, Megan, she gets terrible headaches and she has really strong like migraine medicine and it did absolutely nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've also read that no amount of medicine can subside the headache. It was terrible. Like I had to go into the bedroom, turn off all the lights, put on like a weighted mask on my eyes, and just snuff out any kind of senses just to get rid of it. Right. Oh my god, that is the worst. It was terrible. Like I I don't usually get bad headaches at all. If I get a headache, I can get over it in like an hour or two. It's they're not a problem for me, but. That actually made me nauseous, and it just, it was super mm-hmm. uncomfortable. Yeah, that's like normal headaches for me. <laughs> if I get them, they're, they, I'm just buried all day. <laughs> yeah, that's the opposite. Yeah. I think if I have a headache, I can just go in a quiet room with no lights, and I could be over it in like 30 minutes. Jealous. Well, you finally you finally experienced what some other people go through. <laughs> yeah, and it's hell. It sucks. It sucks. It's the worst. So not a lot of games you've been playing over the past couple of weeks after the whole grounded incident, I take it. Oh, I did play a little bit of No Man's Sky because my brother-in-law wanted me to play with him. So I played a couple lunch breaks here or there with him because mm-hmm. I was on the couch, so I didn't have to move. Sure. But other than that, I think I played a little <laughs> bit of Diablo 3, and I haven't really gamed. Yeah, besides the games for the podcast, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I did play those. Some of those uh, unfortunate. Well, wow. 
Come on, they were they were they were all great, every one of them. <laughs> uh, disagree, but okay. Hmm. I guess we'll find out when we get later to the graphic <laughs> adventures. This is the Redley Fletcher cast. Of course, you can listen to us Spotify, iTunes, Pod, uh, Pod, Podcast Addict. That's a that's a big big one people listen to. Uh, we do have a YouTube channel with all of the backlog plus some uh, let's plays that we do some some fun things. My uh, mom and Kay from the Wrestling Cast. He's been a frequent guest on there recently. We all played a game called Billion Road. It's like a Japanese Monopoly type thing, and we played what's called Skirmish Mode. Uh, you play everything in fiscal years, so each turn is a month, and uh, it really invokes a different strategy and risks you'd have to take to try to get the advantage. And uh, if the RNG just doesn't go your way and you're like totally in the negative, you're just gonna have to like think outside the box of okay, how am I gonna get back to even? Well, no matter what we did, I definitely played that game totally wrong that round because it was my mom. Your mom destroyed you on. She absolutely destroyed us. Like it was her three and a half billion to mine. Like nine hundred million to K, who was just like three hundred million. He was in the negative, in the red, like most of the game. <laughs> How could you? It was it was mom? a brutal beatdown. It was just brutal. Uh, the whole the whole three hour playthrough of that is on the YouTube channel, Redley Fretrecast. So go subscribe. We'll. I, I'm I'm hoping to play some more things. I also did a short little session with my mom. She was really interested in seeing the Ghost of Tsushima Kurosawa mode. So I played just a, a few of into Act Two, Side Quest or Two, completely in the black and white mode, and uh, it's very interesting. So still chugging away through Ghost of Tsushima, uh, Billion Road. We'll be covering that was a game that came out in March and just it totally flew under the radar. Super niche game, but we'll be covering that in the uh, August episode, which August Modern Gaming episode, which will come out in a two three weeks here, depending on depending on that. Uh, I've been chugging away at a couple other Xbox games that came out for Game Pass. There's one called Spiritfarer. I don't know if this is, this would be something for you, Joey. Uh, it's kind of a down-to-earth... Uh, so, you are a guy who died recently, and he's taken over basically being the Grim Reaper on the River Styx. Mm. And he has to go around and help people die and collect their souls because people can't technically die on their own for their souls to pass. So it's really kind of morbid in that sense. So, but it, okay, that follows kind of... Um, uh, there was a show on Showtime that was like that. No, it's not that one. But I mean, that that if the Reaper wasn't there to collect the soul but at the time of death, then these gremlin-like creatures would take it and devour the soul so they can't pass on. So you, mm. you have to they have to be there to make sure that they can not let the soul get devoured <laughs> no it's not not like that uh at least not into any of the experience i've played and then battletoads came out a new battletoads game just randomly it seems like if you were i remember e3 or something a year or two ago they announced rare was coming back with battletoads it's it's a new a new battletoads game is coming out everyone's really hyped for it and then all of a sudden it's just oh it came out today i was like what what do you mean it just came out today? There's, like, no publicity for it. Uh, it's it's just totally under the radar in its release date. Uh, a complete fault of Rare in its and Microsoft in its publicity for it. It was very, very much a shame. Because, I say that, because they just had big Xbox conferences. And there was no mention of Battletoads on either of them. 
So you'd think with a game coming out that soon and by one of your uh, first-party studios that you own, you would publicize it more. But anyways, the game's not that good. <laughs> well, maybe that's why they didn't publicize it. That's probably why. It's yeah, it's 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 got a lot of the cheeky 2020 type child humor where everything's like a thousand miles an hour in the jokes and kind of making it very pseudo fourth wall breaking type stuff. Mm-hmm. Like it's all hit and miss with me. Uh, the gameplay, the artwork's great. I love the artwork of it. It's very Streets of Rage four esque, uh, but. I'll go into much more detail in the modern game cast, but I'm not impressed with what I've played so far. Uh, but we, you know, me and a bunch of people in the Discord, uh, we're all going through the single player mode. It does not have online multiplayer option, which is stupid because it prides itself on three player co op, but it's local only. That sounds terrible, especially this yeah. day and age. Yeah, so that's a that's a huge miss there, uh, especially when the game is on Xbox Games Pass. Yeah, that would have been so easy. Kind of, like, how do you not have that set up? Yeah. So we were, when we all, because there was like six of us in the Discord playing it, and we're all hyped up. Okay, we're going to get, we're going to get two teams together. We're going to go through the game. Who can get through the, the shit the fastest? We're going to put it on like the hardest difficulty mode, and it's local only. And we're like, oh, come on. Fuck you, Battletoads. Sounds <laughs> terrible. Yeah, it was a, it was a big bummer. And uh, one of the one of the people, it was Kay, as a matter of fact, he's like, this game sucks. <laughs> he did not like it at all. It was quite funny. I would hate it, too. Like, I would think you could play with people. Like, that's not the whole thing about that game. Like, you play with people. You kick ass right. as toads. Right. And then you keep and then you keep uh, the option of hitting your teammates in. Yeah. You turn it on and off. But, you know, just annoy people <laughs> hitting, hitting each other. So that's a big that's you know. a big bummer. Um. I got a lot of a lot of a lot of games on my docket, but I had so much fun playing the graphic adventure games because these took up a lot of time. So I haven't really had a chance to dive more into Ghost of Tsushima, but I must say, I got to a point in Act Two, the uh, the Ghost of Yarikawa, and this is a scene where you you basically I don't want I don't think it's like the number one Mongolian general to the main dude, mm-hmm. but you're in a fight with him, and uh. Ooh, that's my mother. Let's uh, let's text her saying what's up. Uh, let's see, all real time. Got it. We're doing it live. <laughs> I'll just text her what's up. Recording podcast. I just realized Rogue Legacy just came out a couple days ago. Rogue Legacy Two. Oh. Oh, what? Rogue Legacy Two just came out. Yeah, I I had it on my wish list. I didn't get an alert of it. Early access started on the eighteenth. I 18th. didn't get it. I didn't. I didn't get an alert either. I literally God, what is with these stupid it. games? I just bought it while we were talking because I was looking at my wish list. <laughs> my God. All right. So where was I? Oh, yes. Ghost of Yarikawa. So the, uh, as soon as I am about to kill the general, there's like five other uh, Mongolians that come and they're about to surround me. But what happens is you put the dude in front of you and then it gives you the option to kind of end his suffering or cut his head off. I fucking cut this dude head this dude's head off. The screen goes full black and white, and then it sprays red like something out of Kill Bill all over the screen. And then the Mongolians just start cowering in fear. And it's and it's called the uh it's like the ghost of Tsushima mode. Whatever it's called. I forget I forget the exact name. But you proceed to like walk out of the castle and the Mongolians are just running away in fear. And once you kill like eight of them in a row, you to- you completely activate the mode. And it's just like one hit kill, 
left and right. You feel so fucking powerful. It is awesome. My it's 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 tied for my first favorite gaming moment of the year in 2020 so far. It's right up there with the uh, control moments of going through a lot of the hotel rooms in the maze, matching the music and how it's playing through. So really going to have to decide which one of those I liked more. I'm giving the edge to Ghost of Tsushima because it's the game that actually came out in 2020. <laughs> yeah. Well, Control came out last year. so Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Re- yeah, really cool mode. Like it stays black and white, and the bl- and the fact that when you kill a dude, it like sprays blood at the screen, and you can see your character just getting covered in it. Very cool stuff. Uh, big thumbs up. I can't wait to maybe play more eventually. <laughs> I still got to play Yakuza Four, and uh, I've been staring at a couple Switch games um, for a while now. I still got Final Fantasy Six that I haven't touched. Uh- <laughs> Uh, Rogue Legacy 2 just jumped on the top of my list. And then, um, did you watch any of uh, Summer Games done quick? I have not. I watched a few of that. I watched someone destroy Ori 2, and it made me feel like I suck at games. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's how that stuff works. But uh, then I saw a game called Super Liminal, which was not on my radar. Apparently, it's been out just on uh, Epic Store. But I'm waiting for it to okay. come out on Steam in November, and it has one of the most interesting concepts in a game I've seen in a long time. Uh, perspective matters, so you can grab something from a distance and it's small, and you can bring it closer and it grows in size. So the objects don't have a set size limit. It all depends on where and how you grab it and how you manipulate it for the size to be. Oh, interesting. So, like, there's one part of the game during the speedrun, because he, he's, like, skipped most of the story, so apparently the story is also amazing, that you move the moon out of the way, and you grab something behind it, and then you have to make it big enough to walk through a door. Like, it... Oh, okay. It's super interesting, and I'm I'm very intrigued. I'm waiting for it to come out on Steam to play it. Oh, I think I've played a game that's something like that on VR, where... The perspective is far away, and you have to manipulate the shapes in order to to go through it. At least in that in that particular concept. So this one's like you might need a dice to be big enough to land on a button, open a door. So you just have to right. bring the dice closer and closer, and then it gets gigantic, and you just drop it down. So oh man, it's that would mess so with people's trippy. depth perception. And sometimes <laughs> walking through a door, like it's I don't know, it's just it's so weird and trippy, and I just can't wait to play it. Excellent stuff. Uh, let's see. Crash Bandicoot 4 is on the horizon. I can't wait for that. Uh, there's, there's an anime-type game with mechs that are co- that's coming out in September. So, um, Not a lot of releases we're looking like for the rest of the year, but I'm definitely interested in, in the games you just spoke about. Uh, and then we got uh, episode 76 on the horizon, and then uh, uh, K is... Hope to get him on for a special episode in October at some point, just to give the listeners a little heads up on what we're going through. Joey, let's not waste any more time unless you got more things to say. I have nothing else to say. Let's get this graphic adventure thing going on. Any particular drop you're feeling? We've got a whole bunch of them that you can't see. I honestly have no <laughs> idea what drops you have, so I never pay attention when you do this. Okay, let's do... Um... You know what? Let's do the Final Fantasy VI battle theme, (laughs) since I haven't made any progress. (laughs) 
Alrighty. So this is episode 75, Graphic Adventures, my theme pick. And I've wanted to do this theme for quite some time, but I never really figured out how we could tackle this. Because Graphic Adventures are... They run in three categories. And they're very old. It's it's more associated with point-and-click adventure games. Or a... Uh, Kind of a, well, okay, one of the games we're going to talk about here immediately is going to be Myst, where it's a 3D environment, and you're solving real-time puzzles, but the game is very uh, linear in its paths. So you're solving the puzzles, and you're backtracking and going back and forth into one singular world. So it plays like a point-and-click adventure, but you're in a first-person view. Uh, And then there's something like a uh, visual novel, which are very much graphic adventures, uh, where you're just going through a lot, of, you're playing out a story, and it's a lot of dialogue, and some there might be some action sequences or puzzles that you need to solve along the way as well. Maybe put things together, go back and forth again. So they're they're all in that same realm of puzzles. It's a puzzle solving type game, and with a very uh, grand story to it. Generally, grand story. There are, there are some that are very uh, simplistic. To another, which one on the list is more or less uh, in that realm, but uh, it, it gives us a good variety of what to expect. Uh, you notice a lot of the same studios might come out with uh, some of these games, and why I picked this also is I wanted this. I wanted because it's usually also associated with PC gaming from back then. But how did they? How did? How did these games translate and operate on consoles? Is is was my goal. And I'm a big fan of point-and-click adventure games. Uh, I've There was like a full eight-month span where I just played like 20 of them. And so most of the games on this list I had played prior, but never on console. Uh, there was one of the games on the list that I'd never touched before and I've always wanted to, especially since we played on this podcast before Snatcher, which I was very much into. That's a Kojima title, Metal Gear Solid guy, <laughs> Death Stranding guy. So you can imagine what the story was there. Uh, Joey, what is your past and past experiences with graphic adventure games uh, before the podcast? I mean, I played Myst before the podcast, so... Sure, uh, most people have. <laughs> I, mean, I played a few, uh, mainly on the PC, nothing really on console, because it seems like a foreign concept to me to point-click mm-hmm. on a console. Right. Right. Uh, did you find a lot of these games very cumbersome? Because that, that was one of the things, that was one of the goals I wanted to see is how just tedious or cumbersome is the game on console compared to a simple mouse and keyboard, uh, which is what these games are seemingly tailor-made for. Yeah, well, I mean, two of them, I played the uh, console version and then I bought them on Steam and played the PC version and I can tell sure. you which version I like better. Well, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> But it, okay, so the other the other kind of aspect I wanted to look at was well, I, as a kid of myself growing up, didn't have a computer, so console was really the only option. I had an NES, so if I wanted to play any of these games, console was the only option. So that's one other way to to look at it. So I tried to put myself in the mindset of I'm one of those people that didn't have a computer. So would this be good enough for me to play through? What what are the what are the big negatives that would, say, keep me from continue playing them if, say, I got a computer later, or like you, fuck this, I'm going to just buy it on Steam and play the better version, right? Yeah, like I tell you, some of these games did a lot better job than the others. 
Yes, uh, that was one other aspect I wanted to look at. So there's a, there's a lot of compare and contrast. Uh, we'll definitely be going through. Um, I had a blast playing a lot of these games, going back and forth, seeing what worked, what didn't. Uh, and there was one game in particular I got really into. There's Surprisingly, I think the oldest game on the podcast did a better job than a lot of the other games of how to handle the, the mouse clicking. Yeah, I wonder which one uh, you think that is. All right. Well, let's get into it. Uh, I know Kevin would have hated doing this uh, podcast episode because he vastly dislikes these kinds of games. I generally do as well. Okay. So I do have, since Colin has family uh, obligations he's doing today, uh, he did give me, give me his tier lists and his favorite and least favorite uh, of the group. I'm actually um, quite interested in what we think uh, comparatively uh, to his, because it almost feels like, to me, if you're not into the story of the game, you're just not going to like the game at all. It's, it's, their game's very, very uh, uh, reliant on its story. Well, I, um, <clears throat> I don't know. There's two vastly different ways that these games have handled story. Like, mm-hmm. um, like the first two we're going to talk about, they both go the exact opposite way of how to tell the story. Yes. One has way too much cutscenes. The other one has not enough. And it, I prefer the not enough one. Find your own story, figure it out on the way for these sure. type of games. Because, which I'll get into more. The other one, like I don't want to just watch something when I want to play a game. I rather just if I want to watch something, I'll go watch something. That's that's uh, that is one aspect uh, that we'll get into. So, uh, the first game we're gonna go go to is Mist, a very uh, well legendary title to say the least. And uh, yes, these all these games. Uh, well, actually, all but one uh, came out on PC. That's what they're known for. Uh, but we're, again, concentrating on the console versions. So, Myst came out on the 3DO and PlayStation. Okay? And it hundreds of ports later. <laughs> uh, CDI came later as well. Actually, the Sega Saturn. PlayStation was the last. Excuse me? Yeah, PlayStation was the last port. Yes, in 1996. The 3DO version was actually the first... Uh, port release in North America, March 17th, 1995. Which actually, uh, I think the 3DO might not be the worst for these type of games. No, so the 3DO is is a... Uh, it, it's like a, a higher-functioning Sega CD, where it can handle a lot of these FMVs, uh, full-motion videos. It can handle uh, 3D environments uh, among the best of the time. Uh, so that was one of its advantages. I can honestly say Mist on the 3DO is a good game. Uh, developed by Cyan and published by Bruderbund, uh, the um, uh, the company that published a lot of the Carmen Sandiego games on PC of the time. Uh, that's what I uh, associate it with the most. Uh, it was uh, designed by the Miller Brothers. And... The concept of Mist is it's a first-person journey through this world that you interact with, uh, you know, point-and-click, drag items, and solve very intricate but not overly complicated puzzles. Uh, I found myself in the in in the playthrough that, and th- by the way, I've never played the PC version. This was my 
first experience with Mist, and I did play this on 3DO years ago, and this was me revisiting it on 3DO. I found that there was only one instance where the, I found the puzzle just way too complicated, and I had to look it up, and that was the kind of star system one going through times, different times. I yeah, didn't really, that, one, that one was that, interesting and more vastly complex than the other easy puzzles. Yeah, I, fe- I felt like after a few minutes, all the other puzzles just kind of, oh, it clicks in your head, and you go, this is what I need to do. That one was just kind of way out there. I just didn't really get it. Uh, but anyways, uh, so you go through, you, you get warped into a book of sorts, and there's two brothers. Uh, I'll call him uh, Red Brother and Blue Brother. Uh, their names are Cirrus and Akinar, Achinar, something like that. And the whole purpose is you collect... Either the red pages or the blue pages in the book, it'll activate a cutscene. The brothers want more pages. Uh, and then you're suppo- the idea is you're, one is lying to you and he's bad, the other's telling the truth and he's good. But it's really hard to distinguish like which one you're supposed to trust, and that's the whole mystery behind it. Uh, there's no real enemies in the game, there's no physical violence, I found that very interesting. There's no time limit, uh, which was something I was kind of expecting the way the game would progress. Uh, but no, there's no time limit, so you can really take your time. There's no real negative to dying. You just go at your own pace, which I, I found really, really enjoyable uh, to play in this game. Uh, what was your experience playing Myst? Yeah, it's the same thing. I, I like that it's not rushed. It lets you really explore it and like take it all in. You don't, Because, I mean, some puzzles people are going to click faster than others, and this one doesn't punish mm-hmm. you for having to take a little extra time to figure things out. Right. And it's just, I don't know, I think it's pretty interesting. I really, I like this game, and I like the even modernized versions of them. Because the one, I think, 2014, it's, you can don't have to point-click anymore. You can free roam. Right, and that's uh, I believe that's called Real Mist, yeah. where they made everything into a 3D, 360-degree uh, environment, yeah. which opens up the world even more. Uh, what made... So I, uh, this was definitely one I really had to or really wanted to put my mindset back in the early not early to mid '90s, where a vast 3D environment like this was more or less unheard of. So there's a moment where you get into this giant like redwood tree, and it lifts it lifts up uh, for you to go into the tree itself. Into uh, so each area that you go into to solve puzzles, there's always two rooms, one dedicated to each brother. Well, as you're going up the tree, it gives you this big scenic view of the island, and this is just kind of putting, like, comparing your 2020 mind into a mid-90s mind, where you, where if you're in the mid-90s, you'd never seen any of this before, and you just go, whoa, look at I can see the stuff in the distance. <laughs> yeah. Well, in 2020, and I said this while we, were, while we were doing the Panzer Dragoon Saga playthrough, it's like... In 2020, if you don't see everything in the distance, what the fuck is wrong with this game? <laughs> <laughs> so that that's that's really funny. Uh, what did you think of the kind of the co- compare and contrast to the two brothers uh, in each of these areas? Yeah, I thought it was, I don't know, interesting. I mean, I like the the duality of it and not knowing which one you really want to believe or not. And I don't, know, I really like the interaction through the books. I think that's just a, a cool concept. That you pick up a book and it has like a video screen, but then you pick up paper and you have to read stuff. This thing does a lot. Of, the game has a lot of interesting things. I don't know. Uh, what, what do you think you of the brothers? Yeah, you mentioned duality. That's a great 
uh, great ward to use for mist uh, because I'd find myself, uh, depending on which area, kind of leaning towards one brother over another. Like uh, I, I hope I got the names right. If I do, uh, if I don't, forgive me. Uh, but I believe Cirrus in one area has this like Renaissance rich persona to him all. Like he's got all these fancy paintings to it. Uh, in another area, Cirrus has. Um, uh, like this Roman type stuff. I'm trying to remember. It's been a couple weeks because Mist was like the first game I played. While Achenar, Achenar, I don't know how to pronounce his name correctly, he kind of molded to this medieval Viking type thing. And uh, there's even one area, uh, this is, the, I believe it's the Redwood area, where you notice like a monkey head kind of on his wall. And then you go into this just destroyed uh, a treetop area where these like Planet of the Apes type people used to live. And you go, wait a minute, I saw a head on his wall. Did he kill everyone here? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just the little details like that. You just kind of, the game really wants you to pay attention to your environment. And uh, back to duality, you can put you can put these pieces together with how the the brothers viewed these points and times that you're going through. And the first time that uh, I got a puzzle correct and I warped to this new region, uh, I was like, what is happening? I didn't really figure out like what what was going on in the world. Uh, it, it's a testament to just... I think Mist holds up probably way better than people give it credit for. Yeah, I would agree. It's pretty wild. So, didn't beat Mist. Uh, I did play a good chunk of it. Um, again, I went out my own pace. Uh, I'm going to give it an easy pass for yeah, sure. Yeah, definitely a pass. I think if you really know the game, you can beat it in like an hour or two. Uh, well, let's see here. Mist. Uh, how long to beat? Clocks it in around eight hours. So yeah, I played probably half. And then if I look at uh, the price charting... Um, I know I got missed on my 3DO for only about $15, and uh, <laughs> the CDI version you can get for $4. <laughs> yeah, I think I paid about 15 or 17 for the real Mist one, if you wanted to get the upgraded version. Yep, there you go. Uh, PlayStation has it clocking around 12 so not a, not a horribly expensive game by any means for any sort of console you're getting. Yeah, Mist, Mist, Mist uh, translates to console... Uh, surprisingly well, so big thumbs up. Yeah, I can I can see why it was the best-selling PC game until Sims came out. Yeah. <laughs> Alrighty. So the next game is uh, Police Knots. So I mentioned I mentioned Snatcher earlier on the podcast, uh, and Police Knots was kind of the next iteration of that storytelling thing. It's uh, developed, published by Konami. It's a Kojima title. Uh, it was uh, originally released on PC in 1994, and then it was ported to the 3DO in Japan only. So that's a bummer for me. <laughs> in 1995, uh, the PlayStation and Saturn in 96. Uh, I have a Sega Saturn copy fan translated, so that's what I played off of. So I did PlayStation uh, with the English patch. Yeah. So we both had a similar experience there. Two different consoles, so that's we're going to get some interesting things. So yes, I did get 
two 3DO games on this podcast yet again. <laughs> <laughs> so this game is more of your visual novel uh, type adventure where you're playing out the story. And it's it's uh it's got full voice acting for uh the important cutscenes, it's got uh, music from start to finish, it's it's got uh, f- uh, featured cell animation by AIC uh, for uh, for all the anime artwork through it. So it's it's got your very uh, late '80s, early '90s anime art to it. Um, I would call it an interactive anime. Yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah. That's that's very very well put. Your your quote unquote puzzles that you're solving is very much splicing dialogue together, uh, point and click interface to everything that you possibly need to look at. And there's the point to it all is learning the world. And the more you learn about this particular sci-fi world, uh, the more everything just starts to come together and make sense to the plot that's uh. Uh, unveiling itself as you, as you, uh, well, let's use the word play loosely here. <laughs> I didn't get far enough for any puzzle. I played just over the halfway point. It's a very, very long game. It clocks in at, as I pull it up, uh, almost 12 hours. So it's a, it's a long experience. I've definitely played probably about seven or eight. Uh, to this point, uh, this was the one I wanted. I ended up wanting to beat because wh- how I went about playing the games for the cast was I'd play a couple hours of each, and then I'd go back to play a little bit more of the game I was more interested in. And then by the by the end of it all, I decided Police Knots was actually going to be the one I was going to concentrate on, and I just simply uh, ran out of time uh, just doing other podcast stuff as well. So Police Knots, for those that don't know, the story is. Um, the story is, we've gone. The humanity has gone to space. Okay, we're making our first colony. So think of Gundam, right? And uh, it's called Beyond. And then they start calling Earth home. Okay. Well, uh, as humanity starts, so all the scientists and everything have made the colony, and so now civilians are going out into space for the first time. And the people that are out there uh, are. They need police now for civilian, and so the first sets of police are dubbed police knots. And our main character, Jonathan Ingram, uh, he's doing tests in a walking suit, and an accident occurs, and he drifts out into space. And due to the pod's uh, uh, safety system, puts him in cryosleep. So he's uh, found 27 years later... And uh, we we cut to him. Uh, now he's this like private detective in old Los Angeles, right? And his former wife of the time has has remarried, had a kid of her own. Uh, all of his fellow police knots have you know gone up in their own separate directions. One guy is the leader of this big pharmaceutical ring. Another is the head of police uh, that are out there. Uh, his best friend Ed. He's kind of been. He he's that he's that old like uh, lethal weapon type thing like oh I'm down on my luck I'm just three way three years away from retirement. <laughs> Speaking of Ed, why does the black guy have to have the last name of Brown? Uh, because he's a simple American guy. <laughs> Ed Brown is just 
what it was. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's your that's the whole premise. And and the, I love how the game starts, where it, it establishes uh, so much of the environment, who Jonathan Ingram is, who what the environment is, and of course his old his old his old uh, his old wife visits him. It's like, oh my my current husband has gone missing, Hojo, right? And he works for the big pharmaceutical uh, company, Tokugawa, right? And she gives him these these uh, these pills and a leaf, and they're just like, "Well, this is what he left behind. Can you help me find him?" And then, of course, she's uh, she's murdered via car bombing, uh, and Jonathan this this gets Jonathan back out into space. And the question you immediately ask yourself is, "Well, why wasn't he just living in space to begin with?" Well, he has this uh, condition because he was frozen out in space. Now he's like afraid of it right he's afraid of going out there he's not comfortable and uh life has kind of passed him by so he's kind of stuck 27 years in the past so he has all the he wears his hair the same way he has all these clothes his entire office is still 27 years behind the times uh but he has to go out to the colony and he meets up with ed and to try to well find Mr. Hojo has gone missing. What was the point of Lorraine giving her, giving him all these clues? And as things unravel, you just start meeting. You meet uh, Lorraine's daughter, who's of course the same age uh, as Jonathan, <laughs> and you find out quite quickly Jonathan is kind of a perv. He hits on like every hot woman that he comes across, uh, and Ed's like, "Oh, come on, Jonathan." <laughs> uh, so. The, there's as you go through and and unlock the clues and and find more about the sci-fi story what Kojima wanted to put in place is you're learning about all of the problems in space why everything is tied together the way it is why the pharmaceutical company turned out to be number 1 why is the hospital uh, uh, involved heavily, and it's because being out in space leads to... I mean, this is just the, just the amount of detail this goes into. Uh, bone density deteriorates over time, being in zero gravity. So calcium is heavy into people's diets. Uh, and this is like all takes place at like a dinner table when they're explaining it. Oh, why is, why is there so much calcium in here? Well, how does your body process the calcium? Well, you need to balance it out with phosphates. But if you have too much phosphate, you also need this. So diet's extremely important and why everything is uh, manufactured specifically to all these things. But because you're also out in space leads to heavy organ failure and other issues uh, such as radiation poisoning because you're exposed to the sun in weird ways, being out in space, uh, as opposed to Earth and Earth's atmosphere protecting you. Uh, uh, th so that's why the hospital's very important. Um, and why the pharmaceutical industry is also very important because a lot of people need pills and stuff to balance diets and help help the human body from not deteriorating in the same way. There's also this wild uh, uh, instance of how people start to look at each other. Oh, I'm in the colony, so I'm better than you. I, I'm on Earth. I'm more in, tu in tune with humanity. So very much kind of the, the whole Gundam aspect of the way people look at things. Uh, so you find out uh, quite quickly, uh, just half the game essentially is well. Yes, indeed, the pharmaceutical company is is indeed behind uh, a lot of the issues 
that are plaguing people in space, and it's brought on by them. Uh, One-third of the, at the very beginning, it's established that one-third of the people in space are addicted to this drug called NARC, right? And this pharmaceutical company is the ones behind it, and you pretty much know this, right? You just assume, like, yeah, they're the bad guys, they're the big pharmaceutical company everything's kind of pointing in their direction you got the space mafia out there as well doing their things they're doing creepy things on the side of their own nightclub life like cloning celebrities of the early 2000s (laughs) to be uh be essentially call girls in their clubs there's just a lot of the sci-fi world and when you learn more about it it makes sense to the story unfolding so i really enjoy it now joey i've spoken a lot about it it is a story there's not a lot of gameplay to it how far did you get and why did you stop playing i think i played uh played very lightly uh 45 minutes maybe to an hour so i got to the car bombing okay so you you got you got the big beginning of it all Yeah, yeah it just it's just way too much to not get anywhere i mean you sit in the office just clicking around on things until she finally shows up i don't know if it's triggered by something or not, or if you have to click on everything in the room, because it felt like I had to click on everything in the room before she showed up. Yeah, uh, there's a yeah, that's that's a that's a that's definitely an issue that plagues the game. Is Kojima really emphasizes you learning about every little detail in the game, right, or in the game's world? Oh, like the cigarettes uh, and the new bent cigarettes. They don't have secondary smoke, and they actually don't well, light up. They're chemical based. Right. And that actually plays into the character of Jonathan later in space. So there is a purpose to you learning all this, but you don't realize it until later. And there were instances, I will admit, where I'm just like, God, I just want to get through to the game faster. I want to get through to the plot. But nothing. if you don't do all that, it seems you would be asking the questions later in the game of why, like, why does Jonathan have a cigarette in space and why is it not lit? Uh, but he likes the non-bent ones, which are a hybrid of cigarettes today and those in the past. Right. Yeah, so there's all these questions are answered later, and it ties together. But yeah, it, it's definitely very, very tedious to click and read all of these things. But at least there's voice acting for a lot of it, yeah. which I thought was quite surprising. Yeah, I, I mean, I I liked I like the artwork. Like it, it's really nice. It, the cutscenes are okay, but I just feel like there's too many. There's not enough interaction at the beginning, and mm-hmm. that's just not what I enjoy. If I want to sit down and game, I don't have to sit 45 minutes to maybe get somewhere to play. No, I understand. I understand. Um, like when you go through all the messages, there's what like five messages, and then he still says, "Hmm, still no case," or "Why well, don't I have a case?" or "Let's check this next one." Like there's just so much time eaten up that. I felt was just slowing you down just for the purpose of slowing you down. Yeah. Well, one cool thing that I was able to play, and this is specific to the Sega Saturn version, is it does support the light gun that I have for it. So uh, this was actually kind of funny. So I'm, I'm playing on my big uh, tube television for the Saturn, but then if I need if I need to do any light gun stuff, I have to kind of transfer my Saturn to my other TV that doesn't have a flat screen on it, <laughs> just for the light gun. So I was like, "Damn it!" Okay, so I guess I'm playing in my bedroom uh, for the remainder of the time. So my my Saturn is uh, <laughs> has been moved. Uh, not enough light gun segments, I must say. 
Uh, not from how much I've played. It only had uh, the practice range and then the initial section after the uh, car bombing where you're chasing after uh, the the alleged killer. Uh, so I was quite disappointed that it is really funny, though, that um, one of the characters in the game is straight out of Metal Gear Solid. Meryl Silverbow, Burrow, Burrow, however you pronounce her name. Meryl. The, uh, she's a big Metal Gear Solid character, so she was plucked straight out of this game into Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> it's just quite, quite funny. Yeah, I mean, the cigarettes are the same throughout the universe, so it's definitely the same universe. Yeah. Yeah, they, they definitely... Yeah, Kojima has, like, ten ideas, and he recycles a lot of them in their own, like, weird ways. It's quite funny. But I knew there wasn't going to be much shooting in this game when you look at the gun, he's like, ooh, it's my gun. I can't always keep it on me. But I only use it for protection. <laughs> oh, he definitely uses it one way or another. So, uh, do I like this game more than Snatcher? I would say No. Because I think Snatcher was more interactive, and uh, Joey, are you familiar with Snatcher? Not at all. So I'll just give you a bullet point of it. Snatcher is kind of invasion of the body snatchers with Terminators, and you're okay playing out that. Interesting. It's very similar to the way this plays out, but it's much less cumbersome about learning every aspect of the world. So maybe you'd like that one more. Uh, I'm definitely interested, and I'm going to finish this game. I'm way too into the story. Uh, if you're not, it, like, I would say if you're not into point and click on every little thing and interested in why the sci-fi world is developing the way it is and solving the mystery, you wouldn't be into it, into this. But if you're like me, where I love sci-fi games like this, I love sci- that's kind of why I don't totally hate Death Stranding is because just the wackiness of its sci-fi world, I just want to play it. I just want to learn more about the world. Uh, I just love all of the details that this game has. It, it has an answer for everything. So I never question what I'm reading. It's, it's just, there's just so much detail to answer and detail to, 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 to see. I think I'd just rather watch someone who knows how to play it, so... I mean, it's definitely a, a it's definitely a let's play kind of game for sure. You can definitely do that and get the same experience. Someone knows where to click for everything, so I'll let them click, and I can just read the same stuff because it's not like mm -hmm. me clicking going to be any different than someone else clicking. Sure. I'm personally passing this, but I don't understand if you guys would fail it. Yeah, I'm gonna fail it. I just, uh, I, I don't know. It's very, very loosely a game, so I just don't think I could pass it as a game as a uh, novel or anime i think it's interesting but as a there game i don't think i could pass it okay that's you know what that's that's totally fair uh so police knots goes for about 20 bucks if you want a fan translated copy your hard copy that's the way to go if you know japanese then either I, any version out there is about 20 dollars, as far as i can tell so that's police knots very happy with that. Uh, Joey, take us through the next game, will you? Mm, the Secret of Monkey Island? Yes. For the Sega CD? Yes. Yeah. Uh, oh, this game. Uh, I also ended up buying this one on Steam for a better mm -hmm. experience because I, the Sega CD, I think, too slow for this because all the 
like you click on stuff and then it has to load and it just like slows things down to a point where you're like, okay, let me talk to this pirate. All right. I got the stopwatch show up. Oh, then the stopwatch shows up again. It just, it's too choppy, I think on the Sega CD. And it's, it's an interesting story. Although I think all the pirates are way too friendly. <laughs> the only pirate that's not friendly is the dead villain pirate. Like it just feels like everyone's like, Hey, you want to be pirate? Oh, okay. Go talk to the top pirates right in the other room. It's okay. Just go ahead and Damn right. Fun. Like we just like to drink beer and steal things. I'm sorry, grog and steal things, and everyone's welcome. Like it was interesting. So it's developed by Lucasfilm, published by Lucasfilm Games. Which a couple of our games are Lucasfilm. Yes, two of them are. Uh, came out in 1990. Uh, ported later to the Sega CD, whatever that was. <laughs> I uh, don't know when that was. Whenever the Sega CD came out. So early 90s, nonetheless. Yeah. Uh, yes, you are a guy named Guybrush Threepwood. Dreams of becoming a pirate for reasons. <laughs> you just start off talking to old man. Hey, I want to be a pirate. Okay, go down there and talk to the pirates. Like- <laughs> right, so there's three There's three pirates and they give him the tasks. They give him. They each give him a various task to complete in order to become a pirate and then you kind of unlock a goofy little mystery uh, that goes along with it. And it's uh, filled with very fun humor. It is a 2D adventure game uh, with point-and-click interface. And I've played the uh, PC version it's a, uh, before way upgraded. start to finish. I believe I even let's played it on uh, the YouTube channel, which a buddy of mine. I would recommend doing the PC version if you want to play this game. Yeah, so I would say eighty-five to ninety percent of the Sega CD, CD version is very faithful to uh, Secret of Monkey Island on PC. The limitations, unfortunately, are. It's it's not so much the controller and the D-pad going through all of the dialogue cuz cuz what it has and we we played another game that was very much like this how it t- tackled uh going through the interface and how to interact with everything is it has text on the bottom uh walk to grab to grab this uh, uh uh it's all on the on the bottom of the screen you have to kind of put a sentence together to interact so that gets a little. You do. I, I got used to it, but it definitely was a bit too overly cumbersome uh, to go through everything. Uh, there was a lot of slowdown in the game. There was a lot of slowdown where everything becomes choppy, like you said. Uh, so that was a big bummer. Damn. And then weirdly, weirdly enough, not a lot of music in the game. <clears throat> there was, but when it was, the music was good. Yes. But there is just too often where all of a sudden it would stop and then it would you just wouldn't hear any music anymore, which is really weird considering CD-based games, even in those days, whether it's the 3DO, Sega CD, especially here in this case. Yeah, the uh, the ROM I got actually came with all the music, they, so all the tracks were downloaded with it. Right, so maybe that was like a little um, patch that they threw into it? I don't know, but yeah... I... I, I, the one thing I really didn't like about the game was that one pirate that only said I until he tried to plug one of their other games. <laughs> oh, the game Loom? Yeah, Loom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was going to come out later. Yeah, they, yeah, they kept that in, which is quite funny. 
I, I don't know. It, the other thing it does is, uh, it so it doesn't have the total cutscene interaction to it like the PC version does. It keeps the still screens uh, with the kind of detailed artwork of it all. I think that was probably a better decision for the limitations uh, of consoles at the time compared to PC. Because mm-hmm. I, I could totally imagine if it, if it wanted to go full cutscene, we'd be looking at like a 4-5 disc game, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the one thing I did not like was, and I, I this is why I kind of stopped playing this version, is if you die, now that's kind of few and far between, the save feature in the game, which this didn't happen in Police Knots, and this didn't happen in Mist, is the save features through a password system, uh, and it doesn't save your inventory at its point. It only saves at certain sections that you've played up to during the game. So, you... you uh, I found myself dying and being like, why don't I have this item anymore? Oh, I have to go re-pick it up and go through all the dialogue sequences again. Uh, which, man, I was mashing that C button hard just to go through it all again. So that was aggravating. Was that uh, done on purpose, or is that just a limitation of them not knowing how to save the inventory? I can't... You know what? We played a game later on the NES where that wasn't an issue. Yeah. So I don't understand why that wouldn't be possible on a superior, quote-unquote, superior console. Yeah, I don't know. It seemed very odd. But I will say, uh, at its base form, this is a very faithful port to the Sega CD. There's just a lot of issues that compound uh, upon each other that makes me just go... This would just be a faster, more enjoyable experience on the PC. Which, for Mist, I just I, I was getting the same experience. Police Knots, whichever version. Uh, let's say if that went to PC, I can't say that it would be very different. This one was, was the first one out of the three we've covered now, where I go, yeah, I'm just going to play the PC version. Uh, it's very funny. I love all the characters. Um, the voice dialogues that do come up uh, match the uh, spirit of the game. Uh, very, I, uh, I'm actually kind of impressed, but then disappointed on the point that they got. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, what I think is funny is that the trials are most of the game, so becoming mm-hmm. the pirate is like most of the work. And then once you're a pirate, the game's not too much far off from being done. Well, I mean that was the goal, right? <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. But I would think becoming a pirate would be halfway, and then dealing with. Uh, the evil pirate, uh, what's his face? I always forget his name. Um, LeChuck. LeChuck. Which... Evil LeChuck and his undead crew. <laughs> just like when he's introduced, he's like, ha, ah, don't you just love being dead? And the guy on the ship's like, what? <laughs> love being dead? Yes, I totally love that you stole my ship, killed me and all my crewmates. <laughs> yeah. I think the most uh, weirdly annoying and funny part of the game is when you have to buy a ship from the like ship the car salesman mm-hmm. and he's like waving his arms around wackily he's like don't I have a deal for you <laughs> so I go to him like four times to try like god when do I have to when when am I going to be able to buy the ship of course it's like the the least impressive ship 
that you're like, I'll get that one. He's like, no, you want the more expensive one. Oh, but you can't afford it. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. This game's not, not bad. I mean, there's some bad things on it with Sega CD, but the story's interesting. The characters are interesting. The artwork, even in Sega CD, is interesting. And the upgraded version on the PC, I like really a lot. Like I like the artwork that they upgraded to. I think the game was fun. Um, I probably barely pass it for the Sega CD, but definitely pass it if you play on the PC. I think I agree for I think I agree with that. I think judging by solely the Sega CD version, it's a barrel it's a barely pass. Uh, but the game itself, especially if you play it on PC, is an easy like high recommendation. Especially if you like graphic adventure games, uh, this is this is one one you must play. Sega CD, uh, yeah. probably not. <laughs> First, I didn't think I was gonna like it because of that loom push, and then every time they say the islands, they have the TM on it. I was like, okay, this is getting kind of annoying. But the game actually turned <laughs> out to be pretty fun. So <laughs> there you go. All right, Joey, take us through. This was your pick, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, I think the next two are, are a big comparing contrasts of how a console can handle not having a mouse to click oh yes so uh first one is uh, king's quest 5 which i guess there was four before this um <laughs> you would be correct <laughs> came out in 1990 for uh the nes uh was this on pc first then nes or was it nes first uh i believe they all came out around the same time if i'm not mistaken yeah Okay, so it was later released on CD-ROM. Okay, but I don't know how much later. Um, I did not like this game. Oh, okay, do tell. I didn't like. I did. I did like that you can skip the intro. You can say I played it before. You know to sit through that. Um, <laughs> but I thought it felt very monochromatic, which the next game we play is three years older, but does color way better. So this one, I just felt everything was just that, that like orange brown color and they only used uh -huh. blue for water in the sky. I felt like they limited themselves trying to get the theme, but it made things hard to see. Mm -hmm. It could have put a little more color in. The game just felt awkward. Like uh, the sound was so inconsistent. Like you thought Cigarette Monkey, like sometimes you didn't have music or not. Sometimes you didn't have sound at all on the screen. Yeah, I think that's a I think that's a limitation of the NES though. And then you walk into another screen and there was sound, or you walk into a place and there's music. Like it just like it 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 was just different, and it felt like there was no rhyme or reason to where there was music and sound and not. Mm -hmm. And I don't know the the story. I guess didn't interest me enough. I did get killed by the innkeeper. I did get turned into a frog in the forest. Uh, but I, I don't know. I just did not like this game. So I've played King's Quest V before on PC. So, uh, developed and published by Sierra. Konami published the NES version, which is what we're talking about here. And if you've played it, if you're familiar with Sierra games, very much save as much as you can. Anytime you do something important, save. What this does do is it invokes a password system. So if you turn the system off, uh, you will have your password system that saves everything to that point with your inventory, something Secret of Monkey Island did not do, which was aggravating to me. Uh, 
And then you have two save slots during your playthroughs that you can save. So it, it actually invoked a lot of uh, quick load times, actually, which I was very much happy with. Uh, where this game is very limited is the how fast you interact with everything. It's very slow, as opposed to the PC version where, yes, that point-and-click on a mouse makes the difference in how you progress through the game. And I liked how you brought up uh, how monochromatic the game is. It's very tough at times of what you can distinguish and what you can click on in the game uh, for the NES version. Uh, it's almost like it's too highly detailed they tried to keep from the PC version. Yeah, and it just it didn't work in the favor. Because I know one of the shops you walk in, the one with the cat blocking the door, uh, like all the plates are the same color as the counter, which is the same color as the floor, which is the same color as the guy's shirt. And then they have, right. I think, cakes on the other table that just have a slight little bit of red. But you yep. can't really interact with them, even though they look different enough that you should. Yeah, so uh, it does keep the same Sierra uh, interaction, where you have you have your bar at the top, so you have your look, touch, uh, and like take situation. No, look, smell, and touch. And then you have, and then and then you do have your inventory part where you click on your item. Uh, it goes into the box, and then you can interact with it there. So there's a lot of things that can kill you in the game, and there's a lot. Of, it's a Sierra game, so there's also a lot of things that can kind of dead end you, where you're gonna have to start a save over. So uh, it's a definite recommendation to write down your pass passwords uh, at frequent points in the game, just in case you kind of screw yourself. Uh, that's just Sierra in general. They're very uh, notorious for that. That is just how you're, how they want you to play it. Basically, is kind of learn from your mistakes, interact with everything you possibly can, and hopefully you pick up the right items at the right times, and hopefully you don't spend your money on useless things because then that could screw you later in the game. That does come up. Uh, the story is about King Graham, and out he's out like picking berries or some shit, and uh, evil wizard. Uh, Mordok or whatever, uh, he basically takes the castle and his family. So his quest from this point forward is to save his family. And uh, this is actually regarded as one of the better King's Quest games out of the whole line series. So I was very interested heading into this, like, how does this translate to NES? What were the limitations they had to uh, overcome? Because I was thinking, that is a highly detailed game. There is a lot that you have to work through. As you play, uh, I will say the voice acting not being the NES version, <laughs> I actually prefer. <laughs> the text was very much a preference. Uh, you mentioned that music went in and out a lot. There's not a lot of sound effects. It's uh, I don't remember if the PC version even had that. So not really that much of a different experience. Do wish that it was kind of more simplistic in a lot of ways, like the earlier King's Quest games. Because they really tried to bump up production value uh, from from three, four, and five, and that's where we are here. Uh, I believe a King's Quest game actually came out on the Sega Master System prior, which is maybe the first one. Uh, don't quite remember. So you go through uh, you go through various uh, regions, uh, solving various puzzles, very much in the same way uh, that we've discussed on the podcast. Until you finally get to uh, the lands 
the land where the castle is, and you just make your way through solving various puzzles. Uh, it, it's, it's very much straightforward. You just have to, again, frequently save, and hopefully you don't die at uh, stupid parts that kind of catch you in a loop. So it's very much recommended. Before you do important things, you save, or things that you think that you will die if you mess up, save. And then after you accomplish something, you know, you get the ding sound, save. <laughs> so you do find yourself save spamming just as a general practice uh, during the game. Okay. Yeah, it, I didn't like the menu. I didn't like how that was handled on NES. Like, it just... How would you uh, How would you have improved it? I think the next game does a better job of it by having more options. All the text at the bottom? Yeah, that it's easier to select. Because having to cycle through and then, I don't know, it just, it didn't feel, the flow just went off completely when I had to I get see. to the right thing. And then, and it's like, oh, you're talking to yourself. I'm like, I didn't mean to hit the talking one. I wanted to do the touch or I want to do the look. So it just. Gotcha. I think. So you prefer the text making sentences like Secret of Monkey Island had. Yeah. Or what the next game where you had the different go to or push, pull, like you had more options right yeah uh, yeah that that could have that could have made the game run smooth more smooth the problem i think with that is maybe it would have taken up too much uh real estate on the screen and made it even more difficult for you to to see everything that you need to that's true and just reading the wiki apparently they had to tone down a lot of things to get on the nes so they had to cut out a lot of the religious violence nudity language yes that was a that was a huge issue on the nes they they you couldn't do a lot of those things they weren't allowed it was part of the censorship laws so (laughs) crazy but yeah interesting i mean i just i don't know i couldn't get into this game at all it let's see uh yeah i'm reading i'm reading some of it now uh one example graham's drinking water in the desert and the narrator's words say ah life-giving water nectar of the gods graham can now feel the strength and renewal flowing through him in the pc version the nes adaptation says ah the cool water felt wonderful and graham's parched lips and his body now feels rejuvenated ah that don't, i don't care about that <laughs> just, just because they say gods like nope no religion nope you can't do that no religion <laughs> he's talking yeah. about water like come on. So that desert that desert scene uh, when I, I remember playing that on the PC on the PC where you have to actually go through the desert in a particular way and then at the at this particular point like a halfway point you drink the water so you don't die in the desert. Uh, there's a lot of necessary walkthrough moments in this game because Sierra Games at the time were all about trial and error and sometimes too much. Uh, was the case. So that's just, it's not even a problem of the NES version. It's just a problem of Sierra that you just have to work through. I recommend playing this game with a walkthrough and kind of going through it all. Like, try out the puzzles once or twice, then look at a walkthrough and you go, oh, okay, that makes sense. That's how I enjoyed playing it, more or less. Uh, no, I didn't play too much of the NES version. I was like, okay, I kind of get what I'm, what I'm getting at here. I think I would rather play... Uh, PC version because it's just kind of it's easier to interact with. I do know what you mean, Joey. Uh, I am going to fail King's Quest V on the NES, but I am more or less surprised with how much they were able to uh, try to stick into this tiny cartridge. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to fail it. I did not like this game. 
Yeah. Alrighty. So King's Quest Five goes in about six and a half, seven hours. And if you are looking to get the NES version, it goes for about 30 bucks. Don't think it's quite worth that, especially when you can get a much cheaper version on the PC. Yeah, definitely so. not worth that much. Yeah. All right, Joey, last game. Tell us about it. Maniac Mansion. That yes. also came out on the NES. And you disappeared again. Your sound is gone. Oh boy! And you're back. Did it? Okay. <laughs> oh, I just wasn't talking. Well, no, your voice trailed off, and you went silent, and then it came back. Oh, bummer. <laughs> cool. I'm sure it's. I'm sure it sounds well for the. <laughs> um. So I actually really like this game. I didn't. Oh, do tell. I didn't think I was going to. Like it's. You would try to enter a mansion with a bunch of blue aliens to save a girlfriend. I like that you could change select who you want to bring with you. I went with the nerd yep. and the surfer because I thought that was a funny combination. Um, <laughs> and he's a, he's all about being surfer guy. It's <laughs> like what everyone else is like. Ooh, wants to be what uh, writes novels, wants to do this. King of the nerds. I like the surf. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this is another Lucasfilms games uh, when they were going by Lucasfilm. So just before Monkey Island, I believe it was made by. Two of the three same people that did Monkey Island. Yeah, it came out '87, so I think it's one of the earlier yeah. games that we have on this podcast, mm-hmm. uh, which I think did a whole lot better job with the menu, and it looked a whole lot better than King's Quest V. Like it just, if I don't know, it just seemed to work better with that menu and going around and saying go to here and sw- where you can switch out your players and i think there's what five different endings i think i read depending on what who you selected to join you oh i didn't know that so there's a lot of replay yeah i looked it up because i was like i, I didn't beat of course i played about 30 minutes or so i just think it's funny though that these blue aliens that once you leave like the one in the kitchen you just have to walk out of the kitchen and it just disappears you walk back in everything's good so i guess yeah they just they just disappear yeah doorways work different for them I guess they're like portals. So yeah, uh, if you don't mind, Joey, let me uh, let me read uh, what this game's about. Go ahead. The game takes place in the mansion of the fictional Edison family. Doctor Fred, a mad scientist, Nurse Edna, his wife, and their son Weird Ed. <laughs> Great name for the son. Mm-hmm. Living with the Edisons are two large disembodied tentacles, one purple and the other green. The intro sequence shows that a sentient meteor crashed near the mansion twenty years earlier. It brainwashed the Edisons and directed Dr. Fred to obtain human brains for experiments. Uh, The game begins as Dave Miller prepares to enter the mansion to rescue his girlfriend, Sandy Pants. (laughs) Very funny. Who had been kidnapped by Dr. Fred. Uh, With the exception of the green tentacle, the mansion's inhabitants are hostile and will throw the player's character into the dungeon or in some situations kill them if they see them. When a character dies, the player must choose a replacement from the unselected characters, and the game ends if all characters are killed. Uh, Yes, and this is where it says uh, Maniac Mansion has five possible endings based on which characters are chosen, which survive, and what the characters accomplish. Uh, Yeah, very. I was very surprised with how this game was executed. Yeah, I honestly thought I wasn't going to like it. Just based on the name and how it looked, I was like, this is going to be terrible. But it actually surprised me. It had more 
action and, and stuff you can do in the game than a lot of the other games we had. And I was that was actually pleasantly surprised, even though I just like what almost a third of the screen's taken up by the menu option. It doesn't feel like it takes away from the game. No, so it's interesting. So we mentioned real the 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 power of real estate and how much uh, the text on the bottom would take up. This game keeps its artwork very much at a more simplistic manner, uh, and you can still distinguish between everything on the screen. Uh, executed, I think I, I do say, Joey, I agree with you. Executed much better than King's Quest V, uh, and the the story just flows a lot better too. You're just constantly moving, constantly uh, going through the going through the dialogue. Walk up to this, give that, take that, uh, talk to this. Uh, I thought the puzzles were hit and miss at times, unfortunately, because I think the speed was too quick. Did you experience this at all? Yeah, it, it, it was probably the fastest game on this podcast, which I guess hit or miss with the puzzles, which is why I liked Miss because it was slower. So that, yeah, one right. of the things that did suck about it is, one, you have to go fast, and two, it's awkward with the D-pad to move the cursor around. So it, it did leave to some parts not as fun as the rest. Right. What did you think of the its use of the save system? Because this seems to be very a very important aspect of our graphic adventures on uh, with our with our games here. I I don't think I had any issues with the save system on this one, but I'm uh, I don't know if I played I far. Really either. I don't really use it too much, so I wasn't really playing to beat it. I was just playing to see what all I could accomplish. If I died, I died, so I didn't really care. You know what? I am guilty of doing the same thing uh, during this. Uh, I did use the save feature a couple times. It does have a password system as well. I was so shocked with how the game just plays out. Like, it feels like a pick-up-and-play game. And that seems so weird to say, considering the graphic adventure and the other games on the list, where you're playing out a massive story. This one felt very condensed, and you your mission, save your girl, you're in the mansion, hopefully you get to her in time, <laughs> and get out. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it was completely different. And it's also the shortest game on the list. Uh, comes in at three, three and a half hours. Uh, it's quite affordable, actually, for the NES. It's, it's just under 20 bucks. Uh, you can get a PC version, uh, I believe, for... Probably like ten bucks. Not, don't quote me on that part. I'm not 100 percent sure if you can get it on something like uh, good old games, GOG. Yeah, I, I'm sure you can. Don't know if I would like it on the PC. I've played Day of the Tentacle. I actually have a uh, a copy on my, um, I think Vita is actually what I have it on. I know I have a digital copy on my PS3 of Day of the Tentacle, which is a sequel uh, to this game. So never played Maniac Mansion before this podcast. Uh, this was a first experience. So now that I think about it, I hadn't played most of this game, most of the games that we did on the podcast. It was like 50-50 on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I picked... Who did I pick? I picked uh, the hot the hot woman, the hot girl, and I think I picked... I think I also picked Surfer Guy. Gotta be Surfer Guy. He's, he's all about Surfer Dude Man. Surfer Dude Man. That's why I picked him. Yeah. I think I'm definitely gonna go back, go back to this game and try and beat it. Especially since it's it's only a few hours long. I played about an hour of it before I killed all the characters off. Um, my priority, man, I just gotta li- make a list 
of my priority games of the year and just go through them. Just bang through them. I got Final Fantasy VI to go through. I got Panzer Dragoon Saga. Maybe I won't go back to that one. I'm not sure. <laughs> that's, that's an adventure in itself. I got Bravely Default I want to play before the sequel comes out. Uh, that's that's this year. Oh, boy. Uh, I got Police Knots I'm definitely going to play through. And now Maniac Mansion. Just throw that on the list. <laughs> I did beat I did beat Echo the Dolphin, Joey. You missed me ranting about that piece of shit in the last cast. I honestly didn't go back to play it because that's when I was sick. I had to cheat so hard. But you get getting to the end of the game. What did you think of the ending of that? Stupid. <laughs> not worth it. It's okay. Somebody sh- somebody should have messaged me being like, "It's not worth it. Don't do it. Don't put yourself through that pain." I had to save state the piss out of that game because of uh, the last level. Don't worry. I'll uh, bring in the it's sequels. Like machinery or something. I'll find a way for you to oh. play the sequels. Oh my god. So yeah, Echo the Dolphin. I will not be getting a hard copy of that game. I hated it. I hate it. I actually, I actually uh, downgraded the game. Because it just got so absurd. How it handled everything. So yes, uh, Maniac Mansion. Big pass, actually. Yeah, I'm gonna pass as well. Especially considering 1987 and how it was able to handle everything. Yeah, which is that's what surprised me. That's why I look up when it came out because after because I played it in order that we talked about. So I was so surprised that this game had a better menu and interaction than King's Quest. So I looked up when it came out and I was like, oh, three years before. Okay, they this game I I'm definitely passing it. Yeah. So apparently in 1990 there was a three season television series. Written by <laughs> Eugene Levy, <laughs> of all people, and starring uh, Joe Flaherty. So how about that? Might have to watch an episode or two of that. It's very funny. <laughs> it looks very funny. So yes. Uh, all right. So our five games were Mist for the 3DO and PlayStation. Police Knots for the Sega Saturn, 3DO, and PlayStation. Secret of Monkey Island on the Sega CD. King's Quest V on the NES. And Maniac Mansion on the NES. Uh, I'm going to go through Collins' tiers and his favorite and least favorite first, if you don't mind. Go Joey. ahead. So Collins' favorite was Mist with Monkey Island a close second. His least favorite was King's Quest V. Uh, he gave Mist Easy Pass A tier, Police Knots Soft Pass C tier. I think we can distinguish why. Mm-hmm. Uh, Secret of Monkey Island, he actually gave Easy Pass A tier. I think he's going off the PC version. I think he's lying. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> he probably played the PC version, which I would agree. But we're doing Sega CD specifically. King's Quest V, he gave a fail D tier, maybe a bit harsh, but uh, Maniac Mansion, he gave past B tier. So, Joey, what are yours? His are not too far off. Uh, Mist is also my favorite game, and King's Quest is my least favorite. Um, Mist, I'm giving an A. Okay. Um, please not, even though I failed it. I'm probably going to give it a C. I was flip-flopping between a C and B because I can see why people would like it. I didn't like the artwork, but as a game, I'm going to have to give it a C. Um, That's fair. Totally fair. Secret of Monkey Island, Sega CD, gets a C. Yeah. I mean, can't argue with PC, that. I'd probably give it an A, but I'm giving it a C. I think there's too many limitations on Sega CD for it. Yeah, man, I would say if it didn't have the slowdown, I'd be a lot more forgiving. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I think Sega CD might have been a little ahead of his time. Yeah, I know CDs were, were coming up, but there was just too much limitation to it at the time that it just... You say that, but the 3DO played Mist no problem. When did the 3DO come out, though? 
I think it came out at the same time. But that also had like more limitations of what you can do with the games, which I don't mm. know how this Sega CD couldn't, because Panasonic 3DO came out in '93, and the Sega CD came out in Japan '91. Okay. So I, just, so I just think it didn't handle loading. Those two years, those two years made a difference, I guess. <laughs> could have been. I mean, but also the Sega CD had a lot of other things. 3DO was kind of basic, but I digress. Uh, King's Quest, I'm giving a D because I Ooh. did not like it. it <laughs> uh, Maniac Mansion, uh, between a C and a B on it, I think I'll give it a B. Yeah, why not, right? <laughs> it, it was a lot of fun. I don't know. It surprised me. That was definitely the surprise of the podcast. I'm more or less the same. I think I think uh, Mist is the best game of the bunch. Uh, my favorite game uh, is Police Knots for me. Yeah, I can see that. That's definitely something you would like. Yeah, <laughs> definitely something. Uh, least least favorite. I I think the worst performing game. I'm actually gonna give to King's Quest V. So we're all kind of in the same ballpark there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Mist A, Police Knots. I'm gonna give it an A as well, uh, because of what its goal was i can see that so, i just i just don't see it as a game that's fine that's fine uh secret of monkey island i'm with you guys it's a c uh just too many performance issues it's lucky the game is super good on pc <laughs> yeah. and it hel- it holds everything tra- it transfers everything well in that regard with the story and how it plays out it's just those things compounded on each other as we spoke about uh King's Quest V, I'm, I'm, it's such a bummer. I have to agree with you guys with the D rating for the NES. I understand its limitations at the time, but when we played something like Maniac Mansion and how how that game was able to handle being on the NES while King's Quest V was not, uh, do, yeah. Do you think they spent I'm, more time censoring than they did trying to make the port good? Maybe? That could be a theory worth looking into. Uh, and then Maniac Mansion, I'm going to agree with you guys as well, a B. So mostly the same, just Police Knots is the is the more divisive one just because the whole visual novel aspect of it all. Yeah, that, that seemed to be you either like it or you hate it. it. Yeah, which is totally fair. That's fine. Yeah, I don't blame people for liking that. It's just not me. Yeah. So uh, I think a successful cast. Look at that. My 3DO games uh, were... Because did anyone play them on the 3DO? Not so bad this time, right? I played Mist on the 3DO. Yeah, but it's not originally a 3DO game, so. Sure it is. It was. It's a, It's originally a console 3DO game. <laughs> Don't nitpick with me, Joey. I need my 3DO-ness. <laughs> so our next podcast episode is over awesome soundtracks. A very, uh, very generic theme. It's Colin's pick. Uh, yes, we got Doom coming. Yep, that was my the pick. original Doom. Yeah. And you and it is on the 3DO, Joey. <laughs> Don't tell me you're playing it on the 3DO. Damn right, I'm playing the 3DO version of Doom. It's notoriously like horrible, so I can't I was wait gonna to say, just bury Not even the Doom port. can save the 3DO. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a notoriously bad port for Doom. <clears throat> Jay is on record saying he wanted to buy me that for Christmas one year, and forced me to play it for the podcast. <laughs> He has not done that, but I will be. Uh, I will be acquiring a 3DO copy nonetheless. Yeah, I'm kind of excited to see. I might. You know what? I might just. I might just emulate the 3DO version. 
I'm guessing your pick's going to be the worst. That's my prediction. Uh, supposedly it's not. Yeah, but it's a 3DO game, so I'm going to assume it's the worst. Yeah. And there is there is a certain game that's not on console uh, that Colin picked. I just let it slide this one time, so keep that in mind. Uh, he's been wanting to get this game of his on the podcast for ages. Finally just said, all right, let's do it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. should be fun. Quick, simple episode today. Clocked in at just under an hour and a half. Joey, it's good to have you back. Yeah. Glad you feel better. Yeah, good to be back. And uh, people get to listen to me and only me for an hour and a half. Enjoy. See you next time, everybody. Bye. Thank you.